children, if you want to come on up and sit on the front pew, I would like to meet with you this morning. How many kids do we have today? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, but they're walking away, so that's okay. And I know, oh, nine, I know somebody who had a birthday yesterday and she is now four years old. Happy birthday, Miss Lillian. Hey, oh, I forgot, I've got a bowl over here I want to show you. Isn't this cool? We were very blessed with a lot of fruit in the food bank this week. And I wanted to bring some up and show you guys some. Because I wanted to talk to you about fruit. Did you know that fruit grows on grass? No. It grows on trees. That's right. And how does fruit grow on trees? How? By a seed? No, he's right. Let me show you. Let me pull open this one. Inside, this is how God made um, fruit. God put seeds. See that right there? That's an apple seed. And they're inside the fruit. And God has it designed so that when the seed goes into the ground... Then the tree grows up, and then after a little while, the fruit starts growing on the tree. Yes, ma'am. Can, I grow an apple tree? can you grow an apple tree? Sure. Here, you can have this apple right here, and you and your mom can do some study on how you can grow an apple tree. You know, my wife, Renee, her mom used to grow plants all the time, and one time she took a seed out of a grapefruit. And she put it into a pot and she kept it watered and put it in the sun. She did everything she knew to do to make it grow. And all of a sudden the seed germinated and the little seedling came up out of the ground. And she saw the thing growing and pretty soon the tree was this tall. And she was so excited she was going to get grapefruits off of that tree. And she had that tree for 15 years. And it never made a fruit. And then finally, at the end of the 15 years, one grapefruit grew on that tree. And that was all it ever produced was one grapefruit. But it took 15 years. Isn't that crazy? There's a story in the Bible that Miss Elsie read to us today about a tree called a fig tree. It's a kind of tree that the, the trees come out of the, I mean, the, the, the figs grow on that tree. And it said that the, the owner of the garden had planted this fig tree and it had been there for years and there was no frig, figs. Kind of like that grapefruit tree that my mother-in-law did. And he was so frustrated. He said, this is crazy. Cut that down. I don't want it taking up any more use in the land and I don't want to waste any more time with it. Just cut it down. And the gardener who was taking care of the garden for the owner said, let's do one more year. Let's try one more year. Let me let me dig around in the soil and I'll put some manure down and maybe give it some extra water and maybe try and give it the best environment that it can so that it can produce fruit, produce a fig. And the owner was like, 
Okay, let's try one more time. Like my mother-in-law, she could have thrown out that thing after five years. I've tried for five years. It's just not going to do anything. Okay, I'll do one more year. Six years, nothing. Okay, I'll do one more year. Seven years. Finally, after 15 years, she got a grapefruit. Now, I wanted to ask you guys, can you make fruit? Come on up. Come on, everybody come on up. Here you go, Mr. Tihan. You'll be a lemon tree. You're going to be an orange tree. You're going to be a lime tree. You're going to be an apple tree. You're going to be an apple tree. And you're going to be an orange tree. Okay. Okay, stand up here. Okay, grow fruit. Grow some fruit. You're supposed to grow fruit. Come on. What? No, come on, make the fruit. You can't make fruit? Ah, put the bowl, put the fruit back in the bowl. Now let me show you, talk to you. Go ahead and take a seat. Let me tell you what the deal is. When God made trees to make apple trees or fruit or oranges or limes, God made them specifically to make that kind of fruit. He didn't make you guys to make apples and oranges and limes and lemons. You know what he wanted to, wants you guys to do? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kind of fruit that God wants us to grow. But you know what? You can't even do that yourself. God has to make that fruit grow in your life. All you can do is pray and ask God to help you. And read the Bible and go to church and go to Bible studies and have time with other Christians. But God is the one that makes the fruit grow. And we just have to trust him. And just it takes time. Sometimes some people have more fruit. Sometimes people have a little bit of fruit. But as long as they're trying to let God be in charge, that's all that they have to worry about. And let God worry about how much fruit happens. Okay? I want to pray with you guys. And then you're going to go back to your teachers. Jesus I know that it's hard for kids sometimes to get this understanding of what it means to let you grow fruit in our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And God, I just ask that you would help them to start walking that out, to live that out. Help them, help us as, as adults to help these kids to understand what it means to be patient for you to bring about those fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and sit with your folks. I mean, uh, you can go back to your class. And the fruit's there. And I'm going to go sit down. Fifteen years to grow one grapefruit. And the thing was, they actually, they had to move a three and a half hour drive from San Angelo, Texas to San Antonio, Texas. And my father-in-law had to rent a U-Haul truck so that he could move all of my mother-in-law's plants because she had that many and she wasn't giving any of them up. And um, one of them was the 15-year-old grapefruit tree that only produced one fruit in 15 years. Um, I have been reading a book that has really been challenging me. I was sharing yesterday with the guys that were at the breakfast. It's called Reese Howell's Intercessor. And it's been such an impactful book for me that I, I, I have seriously considered buying a copy for every member of our church board and doing a Bible study, book study of it. 
But um, I'm, I'm still praying about whether or not that's something we need to do. But it has been something that has challenged me as I've been reading it. It's it's one that I've only been reading a couple chapters a day because it's just it's too many, too much to read, too much to try and take in. But one of the things that that has really challenged me in it um, is how sold out Mr. Howells was to Jesus. This man, um, well, God called him at one point, challenged him to enter into an attitude of prayer 24 hours a day. He said, except for the fact that you're asleep, I want you to be, be aware of me and be interacting with me, mindful of me 24 hours a day. Well, Mr. Howells was born in the 1800s and lived until the middle of the 1900s. In his area, he lived in England and Scotland area. In his world, um, when you were praying, when you entered into the presence of God, you took your hat off out of respect to God. That's what you did. So God said, whenever you're in an attitude of prayer, you need to take your hat off. Well, that was perfectly fine and good when he's in his room praying to God. But you see, in his culture, everyone had to wear a hat when they were out in public. Everyone, men and women. That was what they did. And for him to be in a 24-7 attitude of prayer and focus on God, and then God said, I don't want you to wear a hat when you're talking to me, that meant he literally had to walk around hatless, which was an affront to the people in his community. It was like he was showing disrespect to them. His mother... He in the, in the book, it says his mother brushed his hat and dusted it off and was standing at the door every time he tried to leave the house. And she's like, here's your hat. He said, mother, I'm not, you know, I'm not wearing it. Well, finally, the people of his family and the people of his community came to understand his eccentricity. He was just an odd guy that was trying to love God. And they got to where it was okay. And he got where it was okay. And he would walk around the city of the town where he lived and, and it was no big deal. He was just always in an attitude of prayer and he was honoring God by going hatless. Well, all of a sudden, God brought Mr. Howells to the attention of some very, very wealthy people who lived in London. And they wanted to bring Mr. Howells to meet all of their peers. Now, I'm talking about, if anybody's ever watched Downton Abbey, we're talking lords and ladies and dukes and people who were in the Buckingham Palace. This is the this is the group that this man wanted to bring Mr. Howells to. And Mr. Howells was so excited to be able to bring the gospel to the group of peoples that he showed up in London hatless because that was what God told him to do. And when this gentleman met him at the train station, he said, Oh, you've forgotten your hat. No, I didn't. Um, God told me not to wear it. Oh, no, 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 no. Totally. No, you cannot. I have a brand new hat I've never worn. It's expensive and it's yours. You can have it. I can't take it. I can't wear it. And the man was very offended and very upset and embarrassed. And he literally said to Mr. Howells, you must walk four feet behind me. I don't want people knowing we're together. It was that big of a deal. And then finally, by the end of that day, the gentleman became aware of his own stuff. 
And God had convinced him that he had his own prejudices that were a problem in God's eyes. And that Mr. Howells was actually living the life that God had called him to. And he had no right to judge him in that way. And so it ended up that Mr. Howells (laughs) went into all these fine places with all of these rich people. And he'd never wore a hat ever. And it was it was hard, but it was a price he had to pay in order to serve God. Now, why did I tell you that? Because it lends to what we're going to be talking about today. In front of you this morning, you have had on the screen in front of you a verse out of Second Chronicles that we mentioned it last week in our in the sermon that it's probably uh, cross stitched and placarded all over the houses of Two Rivers and Fairbanks out across the state of Alaska and across the world, literally. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There is a if-then contract going on here. God says, if you, then I. That's what this covenant is that God had said to the people of Israel. He actually said it to Solomon. And we're going to open up Second Chronicles chapter 7 and look at this. Because it's more than just one verse that you need to be aware of. So turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, chapter 7 is the dedication of the temple. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, your son will build it. So this is now the time where Solomon has built the temple. And it says in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, this was the prayer of dedication to the, of the temple to God. This is a public worship service. Hundreds and hundreds of people are up on the, basically up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces on the ground and worshiped and gave thanks saying, he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And then it says, then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord, and they offered 22,000 ox and 120,000 sheep. And then the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanksgiving. For his steadfast love endures forever. And whenever David offered praises to their minister by their ministry opposite them, the priests <coughs> sounded trumpets and all Israel stood. And then verse 7, And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the fat and the peace offerings because the bronze altar all Solomon had made couldn't hold all the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days. And all Israel with him, a great, very great assembly. 
And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to the people of Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and his own house, the palace. All that Solomon had planned to do to the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or when I command the locusts to devour the land or when I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and from, from, from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal my, their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you'll walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded. Bring up that next slide, please. If you walk before me as David, your father, walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. See, there's this if then. If my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Then he gets even more specific and he says to Solomon, if you, then I. He says in verse 17, if you will walk before me in the same way that your father walked, doing all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David. But then verse 19, but if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted. Everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and worse served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Those words in verse 19 and 20, if you, then I, if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments, then I will pluck you up. I will cast you out of my sight. Those are just how many word sentences after this wonderful cross-stitched promise that God gave? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll answer their prayers and I'll heal their land. But if you don't follow my ways, I will pluck you up and cast you out of my sight. Do you hear me? Hmm. Like Roy said earlier, we don't like these words. 
We just want light and fluffy. Make it, make it nice. Make me feel good. But see, this is how God really and truly talked to his people. We, we like to just hold on to just the, the good stuff. Nobody ever cross-stitched this and put it on their wall. But it's only five sentences past. Well, some would say to me, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. I mean, in New Testament, God's a loving God. Mm, let me tell you that this isn't an isolated situation. This is not God just talking to Solomon because Solomon was the king. Bring up the next slide. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Joshua verses 1, verses 5 through 8. Moses has died at this point in the story in Joshua. Moses is now gone and Joshua is now in charge of taking the, the Israelites from their wanderings in, Egypt, in, in the desert to the promised land. And his role is to take over the land of Canaan. To take over and, and to clear it out of all of the inhabitants that are there and for um, the, the people of Israel to take over the land. And God says to him at the very beginning, don't be afraid. In the same way that I was with Moses, I will be with you. I need you to be very strong. I need to be very courageous. Look at verses 5 through 8. God says to Joshua, no one shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Oh, that feels so good. Thank you, God. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Oh, thank you, God. Praise your holy name. Only one thing, be strong and courageous. I promise I will be strong and courageous. Being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Okay. That's a lot of words, God. Have you read that? I have to do absolutely everything it says? Yep. Look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you can be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. See, it's more than just having God with you, light and fluffy, make me feel nice. Oh God, your very presence, your power, I worship you, I give you praise. And God says, what are you doing with the words that I gave you? Do you know what they say? When's the last time you cracked that book? Do you even know where the book is? This command that God gave Joshua... He also gave to Solomon. He also gave it to David. He also gave it to Saul. He also gave it to every single king who ever served as a leader over the nation of Israel. How do I know that? Because I can point you to, bring up the next slide, Deuteronomy chapter 17. It is part of the law that they were supposed to know. It was part of the law that they were supposed to be following. Deuteronomy 17 verses 18 through 20. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself. Now what this is, God says, in the days when you get into the land that has been promised to you, you will come to me and you'll say, we want a king just like everybody else. And I'll let you have a king, even though you shouldn't need it. 
Because I'll be your king. But if you, if you want a king, okay, we'll let you have a king. And when he does, this is what he needs to do. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall hear this. The king shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. In other words, the king is supposed to get his own blank parchment and his own quill. And he's supposed to take an original copy and copy his own personal manuscript word for word for word. And it has to be approved by the Levitical priests. In other words, the people who know the Bible have to review his copy to make sure he did it right. And it shall be, verse 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Every day, God? Yep. All the days of your life. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Not just learning them, but doing them. That your heart may not be lifted above your brother's that they may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left, so that they may continue long in this kingdom, the king and his children. (coughs) God has this really cool promise. If you, then I. But he says to the people who are going to be the leaders, who want this blessing of God, okay, if you, then I. If you will, I will. If you won't, I won't. If you don't, you're out. That was to the king. But if you go into the New Testament and you get into Jesus' teachings, we get into something that has caused concern, especially in the evangelical world, for about four or five hundred years. Bring up the next slide, please. It's John chapter 10. Verses 27 through 30. Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, <clears throat> he has He's talking to them about him being the shepherd and the people of God being the sheep. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And this this particular verse is one that has caused great contention in the evangelical world. Like I said, for about 500 years. Because there's an argument going on between certain houses of the certain branches of the Christian faith. There are some who say, once you are in, you can never be out. And I guarantee you people, if you listen to KJNP, and I'm not faulting KJNP, but I'm telling you, if you listen to KJNP radio station, and you listen to a lot of those radio preachers, you are hearing this teaching. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand once you're in. Period. End of discussion. There's nothing that can be done to take away your relationship with God. Period. End of discussion. That's what you're going to hear over and over and over again. And I will tell you that we're not the, the church of the Nazarene. We are not in that camp. If you, if you look at the, the technical terms, we are Wesleyan Arminian in our theology. And the theology that we preach is that we have free will. 
What does free will mean? Free will means I have every right to say no to God. When the offer is made to be a child of God, I don't have to take it. Those who are strict in their Calvinistic teaching say, well, you can't refuse God. If you're one of the elect, you're one of the elect. There's nothing you can do to refuse God. And in the same way, that free will that allows me to enter into relationship or not enter into relationship also allows me to choose to stay or to leave. See, there is nothing, Jesus' own words, if you look at this passage in chapter 10 of John, Jesus' own words, no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand, no one is able to snatch the sheep out of the Father's hand. End of discussion. There is nothing and no one who can do that except you. And if you don't, understand or believe that we can have a conversation. I'm not trying to, because like I said, this is, there's a, there's a large group of Christians who believe wholeheartedly <coughs> that what I'm telling you is false. They believe that you cannot lose your salvation, end of discussion, period, over and done with. I tell you that if you say you have free will, then you have the freedom to come in and you have the freedom to leave. How does that play out? In our, in our world. If you look at Jesus' teaching, this is John chapter 10. Go down five chapters to John chapter 15. Next slide, please. John chapter 15 is a very, very familiar passage to anybody who's studied the gospel of John. John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 say, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. <clears throat> so Jesus changing the analogy, changing the the, uh, the metaphor, if you will, has gone from being sheep and a shepherd to being a vine dresser and the vine, or gardener and, and, the, and the vine. And we are the branches connected to the vine. And if you read through all of this, it says, if you abide in the vine, if you continue in the vine, you will be fruitful. If you are not fruitful, verse 2, you will be taken away. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 6. Go down just a little bit farther. Next slide up, please. John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches then are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Hmm. Hmm. If I cannot be snatched out of God's hand... If I cannot be snatched out of God's hand by anybody, including myself, then how do I reconcile these verses out of John 15? Because it says, if I don't abide, if I don't bear fruit, God will prune me, trying to get me to bear fruit. God will give me more time trying to give me to fruit, be fruitful. But if I will not be fruitful because I refuse to abide... I will be cast out. This is Jesus talking. This is not Bob Sugden talking. This is not John Wesley talking. This is not James Arminius talking. This is Jesus talking. Now, next slide up is, is the Luke's, Luke 13 slide again. This is what Elsie read to us this morning. This is what I talked to the kids about this morning. This is that story about the, the fig tree that doesn't produce and 
The gardener says to the owner of the land, listen, give me another chance. Let me, let me work with it for one more year. I'll, I'll put some, some fertilizer down. I'll, I'll dig it up. I'll add extra water. We'll get some better sunshine. I, do, su- do what we can to provide an environment that's conducive to it. And if for some reason it just doesn't make, then next year you can cut it down. And obviously, we're not told this, but obviously the, the owner said, sure. Okay, let's do that. Which in my mind, supports what I just said to you out of John 10 and John 15. It's the same teaching. If you refuse to abide, if you refuse to be fruitful, then there is going to be a consequence, and that is that you're going to be cast out. You're going to be cut down. You're going to be removed because you have no use to the gardener or to the owner. Um, bring up that, the, the, the last slide, and, and this is just going back to the, the, the Chronicles thing. See, See, we love having the promises of God. And we talked last week about the promises of God that we can incorporate for our own selves. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And as a matter of fact, as I've been learning in this book that I've been reading, um, Mr. Reese would spend three to five hours a day studying the scriptures and owning them for himself and praying through on them and seeing how they applied to his life. And it's been a great challenge to me to, to encourage me to continue to be faithful. Because <clears throat> what I'm hearing as I read the scriptures, what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit as I've been reading his book, is God has set a very high standard for God's children. If you want to be called a child of God with all the rights and privileges of being a child of God, then there's some very high standards that have been set for you. The cool thing is, most of the stuff, most of the work has been done for you by God or will be done for you by God. There is nothing in the scriptures that says you have to get your own sins cleansed. God has already provided that remedy through Jesus Christ. All you have to do is receive that free gift of grace. God has very clearly said... If you will abide in me and be in me, I will pour out blessings on you. I will bring to you a comforter, an advocate, a paraclete, who will come alongside you and will walk with you through this life. It just happens to be me, the Holy Spirit. You will have 24-7 access to me. And in this relationship that we have together, 24-7, you can hear clearly from me. I will guide you. I will pray for you when you don't know how to pray. It's all for you. And I will bring about the fruit that I desire in your life. All you have to do is till the soil, throw some manure on when necessary, put some water in, stand in the sunshine for a while. How does that equate? Well, okay. Read the Bible, pray, go to church, fellowship with other Christians. That's all you have to do. And that doesn't make you a Christian. And it doesn't stop you from being a Christian if you don't go to the church or you don't open the Bible. But I am telling you, if you are not fruitful in your walk with Christ, and I'm not talking about getting other people saved. I'm talking about just exhibiting Christ's likeness in your life. If you are not fruitful, then God has already said, if you, then I. And the if you, then I is a pretty harsh thing. 
If you, then I, and you're out. But, but God. No, it's not. But God, it's if you, then I. The cool thing, and this is what I say hallelujah to, is God is the God of the second chance. And the third chance. And the fourth chance. And the fifth chance. And the sixth chance. And the seventh chance. Because if you go in... Yeah, there you Thank you, Mary. Seven times 70. If you look in the scriptures, the teaching is the judgment doesn't happen till after death. So you literally have until the last moment of your life to be in right relationship with God. The thing is for me, and this is, this is something, and maybe it's the age, maybe I'm 62 and a half, almost 63 years old and I'm just starting to be reflective. But I think about, I was thinking this morning when I was thinking about how I wanted to start the sermon, one of the things, ways I thought about talking about was, what did you want to be when you grow up? Because when I wanted to grow up, when I was thinking about what did I want to be when I grew up, I wanted at one point to be a doctor. A medical doctor. And I had somebody in my life speak into my life a negative that convinced me I couldn't be a doctor. Because we had an animal, a cat, in our, in our life. And the cat had been very badly harmed by a person in our community. I mean, literally, they, they tried to kill the cat with a hatchet. And so we had to take the cat to the vet. Well, I was at the vet's office with the cat... And the doctor was trying to change the dressings and I got sick to my stomach and was uh, revulsed by the look of the, 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 the scabs and stuff underneath the, the bandage. And one of the adults in the room looked at me and said, well, there's no way you could ever be a doctor or a medical person. And that dream went away. Now, as an adult, I became an EMT and I loved serving my people, my fellow human beings as an EMT. And there are times that I wish that I had followed that path because that was part of my life. That was part of who I was as a human being. I wanted to do that when I was a little kid. But somebody spoke a word to me that convinced me otherwise and so I never followed that path. And so, but, and then, then I look at, and, and, excuse me, then I look at my senior year, of my, 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 my senior high years and by that point in my life I wanted to be a professional entertainer. I already given up the opportunity or the idea of becoming a medical person, but I wanted to be a senior, an, an entertainer. I literally had friends who had agents and were doing commercials and doing stage productions, and I was going to do that. And then stupid friend of mine had to convince me that Jesus was the Savior, and I got saved, and then God said no. But this is my dream, God. No. But this is what I want, God. No. And it took about five or six years until finally in rebellion against God. And you've heard the story. In rebellion against God, I went into a theatrical show that I wasn't supposed to go into. And I almost lost my marriage. And God forgave me of my sin and my rebellion. And after it, he said, never again. Can you go into theater? You can do it for me all you want, but no secular theater at all. God, no. 
And now I'm serving him as a pastor. And I can remember when I first came here. I can remember saying to someone, I don't, not, not in this church, but someone who, was, who knew me for a long time. And I can say, I now know why God put me on this earth. Because this is who I was in credit, intended to be. This is who I was supposed to be. But it took stop being in rebellion against God. It took listening to the Holy Spirit of God. It took doing what I was told to do, not what I wanted to do. And the end result, and I'm not trying to say, I'm so fat in a bag of chips. I'm just saying, I can look and say, man, a lot of fruit. And I'm not saying that going, I'm proud, because I'm not proud. But I'm very content to know that I have been fruitful for my God. If he were to call me home right now, I could walk in content, feeling like I did, if not the best I could have, I did almost the best that I could have in almost every circumstance when it came to trying to follow him. Now, does that mean I never sinned? No. Does that mean I never made a mistake? No. But yeah. I'm a pretty fruitful Christian. And that's a good feeling. And the nice thing about it is it ain't over till the fat lady sings. So I either need to die today so that I can be a fruitful Christian when I walk into the gate of heaven. Or I need to continue to abide. And what does that mean? I need to keep reading the Bible. I need to keep praying. I need to keep going to church. I need to keep fellowshipping with other Christians. Mm, Yeah, but most importantly, I need to be in communion with my father. Talking with him, communing with him, listening for his guidance, telling him how much I love and appreciate him in my life. And if it means going hatless in a hatted society, I need to be willing to do that. And you understand what I'm saying. I could point to you in the Bible where one of the prophets had to walk around naked for three years. It literally says, with buttocks exposed in the scriptures. That's how naked he had to be. For three years. You want me to what, God? (laughs) Yep, I do. But God, no buts. Well, one but. but. (laughs) Okay, God, if it's you. And this is what goes back to that Reese Howells book. Once you've prayed through and know that you know that you know that it's God, then you walk in it until the Spirit tells you otherwise. So my my whole point to us this morning is this. God has set very high standards for you. And it is appropriate and right for you to take time and to ask God to give you a report card. 
And if you find that you are not meeting the mark, then you need to say to God, where do I need to make adjustments? Do I need more fertilizer? Do I need more sunshine? Do I need better, uh, better watering? Whatever it is to bring about fruit in my life. That's yours. God will bring the fruit. You simply have to abide. And abide means being in connection with or communion with God. So go home and ask God for your report card. Let's pray. God, we love you and praise you and thank you and give you glory and give you honor. And as Roy reminded us this morning, this whole worship service has been about ouches. You are calling us deeper. You are calling us farther. You're calling us to be more than we were yesterday. And it is not comfortable when you do that. But it is very, very, very beneficial to us when you do that. So help us, Father, to say yes and to do whatever it is you want us to do as we abide in you. We ask all of this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.